You're listening to And what is poppin'? You are listening to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 161. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have the once and future professional Asian American, Jess Ju. What's up? Hey, Marvin. How's it going? I am. I'm good. I have been doing Pilates. <laughs> it fucking hurts, but we should go one day. Oh, are I'm you like, is, is this the um, the wedding yes. Um, workout? Yes. It's also like. I feel like at every stage in a L.A. woman's life, she needs to try Pilates. Um, And it is very good for your joints. It's low impact. (laughs) And it works out muscles I did not know I have, mainly my entire torso. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I do not have. I have no core strength. So this is specifically like for core strength. And it is painful but you know you feel really smug afterwards yeah yeah you feel strong if the pain means that you are getting stronger (laughs) pain is just weakness leaving the body as they say it's (laughs) i will say i i you know um i i I take classes through class pass so Mm -hmm. um i and they do recommend the place i go to they have like beginner classes where they kind of teach you the moves and like Mm -hmm. what should be activating which is like a slower pace very helpful so I took one of these classes and there were like 12 women in there and one man. We're all around the same age. And this man made the most noise. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, what is like, are you? And at first I was like, oh, my God, are you OK? And then it's just like, you need to take up less space in this. Like mm-hmm. everyone else is doing the same exact mm-hmm. exercise as you. And it's none of us are using weights. It's relative to your body weight. Right. Why are you making all these weird sounds like a wounded animal? It was very awkward. I'm just like, he literally like, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, Pilates is not that serious. Yeah. We picked up a rowing machine during Prime Day. So that's that's our new workout. That's fun. Oh, I I love rowing machines, too. Is that for you or for Christine? Um, For both of us. But most are you going to use it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> you hesitated. Does it have a game on there? There is a one... no. There's a there's a holder for an iPad. So, uh, okay. um, there's not necessarily a game, but you can but, like, watch I can stuff. Put on like a YouTube video and use that as my timer, which is great. Yeah. Are you, or are, are you, you just, just going to do like like scenic river views and like? Pretend like you're actually rowing on the water. I'll just probably put on like vlogs and stuff. Stuff that will take my mind off of the thing I'm doing so that I don't think about yeah. it. Yeah. That's, that's why point. for me, it would be like narrative, like watching TV. Yeah, like I'd want a story. Like some like scenic mm-hmm. view. That's not take my mind off of the rowing. Nah. Yeah. If you were yeah. in actually nature, that's a different story. But when you're <laughs> watching it on a screen, it doesn't right. have the same effect. Yeah. Also joining us, the most professional of culture editors, Han Win. Hey, Han. Oh. How are you doing? How is the editing of the culture these days? What with all We're the s- um, all the collective action going on? With the Hollywood double strike? Uh, this is, I don't want to say unprecedented because it's not. The last time it happened was like 53, 54 years ago. Whatever it was. It was 80s. So maybe not that long ago. But um, But it's unprecedented for the modern age because, you know, what, back then they didn't have things like, websites 
and the internet and social media <laughs> and things that also require an extra level of coverage. Um, so it's been interesting because a lot of people are, are don't know where the line is when it comes to um are we allowed, like, we know we're not allowed to talk to actors and writers now for the double strike to promote their stuff. But what if we promote their stuff, does that mean we're not showing solidarity? Um, if a director does an interview, does that mean they're not showing solidarity? And I, I think, you know, all you just need to know is as a consumer, you know, you need to watch their stuff <laughs> because you are helping them regardless and showing their uh, desirability and worth. And, you know, pay the money to do it. <laughs> I mean, clearly. But um, I understand that there is that nervousness. Uh, directors, I think, actually cannot strike. Um, but it is, again, sort of like the question of whether they're promoting just for the studio or themselves or if they're in solidarity with the actors and writers. But again, like it's, if it helps them still, I mean, the fact that actors are not doing any promotion is already a big enough of a hit, you know? Um, so we don't want like their very hard, you know, their, their movies to like tank or their, you know, their other things to not have any attention. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, we talk about the strike every single time <laughs> um, and keep it very visible uh, that we're, that they are deserving of the things that they are asking for, which is very minimal, very minimal. So minimal. And I feel like, I feel like it's super like cartoon villainy of the, CEOs to be like, we just want them to go hungry and lose their houses. Also, let's like, trim some oh, trees so we don't have shade. <sighs> yeah. So it's 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 been an interesting time because we are constantly now looking for new ways to cover things. We don't always do interviews, which is good. We do a lot of think pieces and stuff. But, you know, honestly, because of the summer and because of people's just natures, we're not actually seeing as much interest in TV and movies. And so you're like, well, I don't know if writing about this podcast or this book that you haven't read yet is going to work. <laughs> so it's we've been having to get creative. You know, there's the World Cup going on. So. Yeah. I mean, Barbara Heimer seems oh, yes. pretty good this weekend, though. Okay. Yeah. We will talk about Barbie Heimer or Oppen Barbie, whichever one. <laughs> we will be talking about that. For sure. Yeah. And it goes without saying that um, none of the members of this podcast is paid to talk about any of this stuff um, mm -hmm. from any struck companies or studios. And in fact, the consumption of uh, media is still encouraged, right? Because it does prove that the um, products that these writers and actors make have value. And honestly, all that the strikers are asking for is that the studios share some of that value with the people that make them. Because, I mean, these things make a lot of money. And all that people are asking for is a fair piece of that value that they help create. I mean, even broader, like. It's not even like, do you think actors like it's like these are workers. These are people who do not make enough working, you know, working class people who are fighting against ex insane like pay difference and class difference. I'm like, you don't even have to like their shows. Um, but everyone, you know, look, look, look at your pay stub. You are always going to be closer to the working class than you are to the to the one percent so yeah don't don't believe in the lies america and the american propaganda machine has sold you well i'm sounding a little communist but yes um don't forget that we are we, we are we are we should always be on the side of the workers because that's also in just very selfishly your own best interest <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. And who knows? I feel like it's hot labor summer. You know, UPS is also on the verge of having a strike at the end of this month if a deal's not met. And also, like, the the if you've read just kind of the documents of, like, the negotiations, like, some of these are just ridiculous. Like, it's so blatantly, like, not in good faith, like, not like they were not so not serious as in like the companies are so not serious <laughs> about like they wanted the, the crazy one the ai one for background actors they can scan your face and own your face and never pay you and use it without permission that's some okay. fucking skynet shit um so yes if you can there's a community fund to support working uh to support the striking actors and writers it's probably gonna go on for a really long time the companies have a lot of other content available from overseas. They're probably going to turn re- rely heavily on other alternative programming like more reality TV as they did in the last strike in writer's strike in 2008. Yeah. So I guess we'll we'll keep an eye on things to see how long and far this strike goes. Um, but we're not here to talk about the studios. Um, on this episode, we're talking about the new season of the independent New Zealand web series Creamery, which is streaming now in the States on Hulu. Uh, longtime listeners might remember that we were very high on the first season of Creamery and we're super excited to jump back into this series. Uh, season two is just as unhinged as the first season and goes a little bit darker. So, um, yeah, excited to get into that. But before we get to Creamery, let's find out what pop culture is baking us through this week. Uh, let's start with Jess. What's popping? I partook in the, um, it almost seemed holy. The, I watched Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning <laughs> Part 1, starring oh. the one and only Thomas Cruz Malthafor the Fourth. <laughs> I know he's problematic. I know he's mm-hmm. fucking weird. I know he's probably done some criminal shit. <laughs> I can't help it. Mm-hmm. Mission Impossible fucking awesome. All right. I have it, it delivered, Um, which, you know, it's like the seventh movie in the franchise. The last movie, Fallout, was fucking incredible. And while this may not get quite there to Fallout, it is so fun. It is such good just playing movie time. I was on the edge. I was just tense for like two and a half hours. It's a two and a half hour movie. And again, my badge of honor, it deserves its two and a half hours or two hours and 45 minutes, I think, actually. It's fantastic. Not really a second wasted. Amazing set pieces. Some of just like the hottest women currently working in big time movies. Um, And they're not too gross. I mean, we can talk about the Tom Cruise falling in love with it of all. Mm. Um, this movie has everything you want in the Mission Impossible. Crazy stunts that, you know, they make sure you to tell you many times during the press tour that Thomas Cruise did this for real. <laughs> we got some fucking great ass fight scenes. We get a great chase scene. Um, it's uh it's it's a lot funnier than some of the other Mission Impossible movies we've got in the past. Fucking Haley Atwell isn't joins, you know, the the fray in this one. And her character is great. Just an agent of chaos. And we get, you know, the Tom Cruise running shots. Fantastic runner. Still the best. And my favorite is when Tom Cruise intensely yells at you something over and over again. And he just like channels his full Tom Cruise intensity at like one character. Oh, and then, you know, Mission Impossible, the mask thing which I always forget is like one of the 
tent poles of the Mission Impossible, the mask gag, and it gets me every fucking time. <laughs> every fucking time, and it got me this time, and it was a grand old time. I spent $10 on a popcorn. I watched it with a bunch of other people. I clapped. I cheered. Um, and I they also, props to the marketing team, very clearly communicated this was a part one. Yes. So no so one was I was not I was not confused, and I still think it kind of wraps up fairly well. I think plot wise, because to be honest, Mission Impossible's emotional stakes are like, eh. um, but plot wise, <laughs> did the plot make sense? No. Does it matter at this point? No. Um, you know, we get, just just fucking amazing. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but if you have not, definitely go watch it. Are you a Mission Impossible girly, Marvin? I enjoy the Mission Impossible movies. Um, it's one of those series that, much like the Fast and the Furious franchise, has evolved into a superhero movie franchise. Um, mm. Because I still, like, my favorite actually is still the first one by Brian De Palma, which was an yes. actually legitimate spy thriller. But I do appreciate the superhero yes. antics of the more yes. recent I mean, Mission he, Impossible movies. He does, have pl- he does have plot armor, but, like, less than some of the Marvel movies. Like, he definitely still gets like beat up. Like there's like way bigger guys, you know. He loses people every every movie, um, you know, to so so yes, definitely. And and there is a set piece. So there's a big set piece in this movie that takes place in Rome. There's a chase in Rome. And it's gotta, fucking great. Gotta be in Rome. You can't let and fast it's so, yeah, I mean, like it's obviously like you're gonna you. draw the comparison with Fast X. And it's just like it's I loved Fast X. I had a really good time, but like, it's just so much better. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh my God, it's so much better. I'm like, I was like, e- even the CGI is slightly better. You know, the little they use, I'm just like, oh, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is what it could be. And thematically, they're all very similar. It's like, I'm not going to sacrifice, you know, like I got to look out for my own, my peeps. Like I'm not sacrificing my peeps for the good of the world, no matter how big the stakes are. Um, you know, there's like a friend's family, spoke chosen family theme running through both. Uh, and you're just like, oh, wow. Mission Impossible is just like, it's like they still got it. Macquarie, Christopher Macquarie, this is his third one with Tom Cruise. It's like they're just, they're just like hanging out. They're keeping it tight. Uh, and I respect that. So, and again, love Haley Atwell, love Vanessa Kirby. Um, just. I've heard a lot of good fans. things about Palm Clementif in this one, too. Mm-hmm. Yes, she's great, too. My only thing about Palm Clementif is that they put her in, like, really fucked up makeup. I mean, mm. she's the baddie. She's kind of mm. like the goon, the big goon henchman, the main henchman. But I'm just like, I'm very distracted by your clown makeup. Uh, <laughs> but no, they're all great. Um, and they get, like, n- like great fight scenes, great action scenes. Um and anything as good as Henry Cavill cocking his arms. No, never. That's the height <laughs> of Mission Impossible. But there is, you know, the famous jump off motorcycle jump off the cliff that they've been advertising. There's a really, really fun train sequence. Um, that's you know, I love fights through I realize I love fights through trains. Fucking fantastic. Give me one every time. Yeah. It's the new um, always I mean, that's yes, but like it's more intense because you're moving and you get a different <laughs> vibe every train car, right? Um, and, you know, I realized this because I'm, I'm like, I did very much enjoy Snowpiercer, which is just one movie of this. 
Um, I love snow but, piercing. Yeah, it was, it was so good. It was so good. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait for part two. I'm sure the strikes will delay this, but very excited. <laughs> All right. Speaking of epic movie going experiences, Han, what's popping with you? Uh, so um, I know everyone will be disappointed that I'm not going to talk about um, an Asian drama that is furry adjacent this week. Um, but we are going into the realm of movies and I'm sure I actually had planned. So I'm sure many of you have to, I had planned on doing the up and Barbie back to back, you know, marathon on opening day or at least opening weekend. And I didn't end up doing that because I saw a screening of Oppenheimer last night and I will be seeing a screening of Barbie tomorrow. <laughs> so I will be seeing them apart. And honestly, after seeing Oppenheimer, I'm kind of glad I didn't do the back-to-back experience because I would have been in an existential crisis. Um, Oppenheimer, oh, no. if you don't realize, is uh, based upon the biography American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert, Robert Oppenheimer. Um, basically, he's kind of known as the uh, father of atomic weapons. Um, he headed up the Manhattan Project. He basically created, you know, uh, headed up the team that created the bomb that was then used on Japan, um, thereby supposedly ending World World War Two, but also entering us into the atomic age. Um, so grim stuff. Uh, it was also a three hour movie. <laughs> um, I, I knew all of this going in. It was, I saw it in IMAX. Um, and it is a Christopher Nolan flick. Uh, Killian Murphy plays, uh, Oppenheimer, AKA Oppie. Um, I think, <laughs> wait, really? Yes. They call just, him Oppie? Ju- just like the, uh, thing that was on Mars or whatever. <laughs> Um, but anyway, um, that was actually the proposed title of the biography, but the publisher said no. Um, but anyway, so uh, Killian Murphy, uh, who is from the UK, uh, plays an American. He plays Oppie. And um, basically it goes over several, like maybe back and forth in time, so decades. Um, and Christopher Nolan uses certain storytelling techniques to indicate where the time is. So one one sort of timeline is in black and white, one is in color, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, there's old age makeup to help you understand that this is older person, you know, older uh, Robert or whatever. Um, it is a star-studded cast, which honestly you need because, okay, we've already talked about the subject matter, which is grim um, and, you know, and kind of like you need it to be grim, but also they also try to make it sort of like a rousing sort of I don't know like let's get the band together in order to get this one thing done but you know the thing they're getting done is going to kill thousands of people so it, there's, yeah. there's there's a duality that had to be addressed um, in the filmmaking and I think all of that was done in a way that um, but you also couldn't have it 100% grim because then no one would want to watch it so I think there was a good balance of that hey, this is American know-how, but then also, like, what are we doing um, that's going on? I still probably found it harder to watch than maybe other people because I could not forget, you know, um, what happened. But at the, um, throughout yes, the whole thing. Ulti- the, the ultimate yeah. sequel <laughs> epilogue of what, where right. this leads. Right, right, right. But um, the other thing, of course, that, you know, going in is you know that it requires uh, a team of 
1930s and 40s uh, scientist, which means it's a sausage science, science, scientist sausage factory on screen. So lots of men's. Lots um, of white men's. Lots of white men's, very few people of color. Um, the the few women were mainly used to be, you know, prop him up. Uh, Florence Pugh, who I adore, is actually topless many times in the movie. And it's not necessarily, you know, just for titillation. She actually, there's a reason why she's topless. Um, but at the same time, like, you kind of have to either get over that or know going in that's what you're going for because uh, otherwise. But I think it was just super, super well done because, of course, there's the fact that you are watching a Race Against Time physicist movie. And um, <laughs> you need to understand enough of it without understanding the jargon uh, of what's going on. I think he did a very good job at that. I think also he did a great job with it then sort of trans um, transfers into a legal drama. Um, because he is, of course, then accused of, you know, helping, I think, either the Russians get some information um, and and maybe slipping them the information, you know, because of past uh, ties with the Communist Party or at least associations with people who are in the Communist Party. Um, so there's that. And the performances are all great. Um, what I think what was needed was the star studdedness because with about 20 billion faces in there, you need to know oh, this person's going to be important. So that's why they're Rami Malek, you know, <laughs> and they're going to yes. kind of come back later. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was well done. Was I in a happy mood when I left? Not necessarily. Um, but I also can't divorce myself easily from those types of stories. Um, like I had to watch a happy thing when I got back home and it was late and I was tired, but I was like, I don't <laughs> want this haunting my dreams. Um, but yeah, overall, very well done movie. With all of those caveats, knowing that what you're getting into, if that's your thing. Um, well, I mean, you're getting into Christopher it. Nolan movies. So. Yeah. Right. He's not, I mean, look, Nolan. <laughs> he, he, had a, he had a movie about magic and that was the grimmest thing I ever saw. I mean, <laughs> the man is not known for having a white <laughs> hand, right? Right, right. No, yes, or or knowing how to write women, so. And, well, I also mean, the women. You kind of expect that. Yeah, the women in this person's life is not great, although um, Emily Blunt does have a great scene. Um, where she finally shows like why she is married to, you know, her character is married to Oppenheimer. Um, so there's that. But of course, she does it to, like in reflection of him. You know, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You're not going to get the most feminist film either. But it also probably wasn't the most feminist uh, of environments. Um, but yeah, so here's the thing going. Uh, if I had gone then straight into a two and a half hour existential Barbie movie, I don't think I would have lasted so um <laughs> do you I'm, think I'm, there's just gonna be a bunch of like walking ghosts people having like existential crisis at the grove on saturday like I, like a bunch of like silent like the, the whole cheesecake factory will just be silent i i know because you know, i think no i'm headed no, to republic on saturday so i might stop by it and check yum, it out you know. yum well like Look, I, I get affected by these things a little bit more than other people because I can't turn it off. I th judging by the the reaction of the crowd when I was leaving, I think you know they're they're fine. They're go they're going to be going to be <laughs> fine, especially if they ch have a Barbie chaser. Um, I I will say yeah. in, in with respect to Mr. Killian Murphy, um, the man is not from the UK. He's from <laughs> the Republic of Ireland, which is oh. a whole different thing. <laughs> Oh, well, he's from that those aisles. How about that? <laughs> um, I do yes. love the stories of him, like, moving his kids out of, I think, London because they're starting to develop, like, a London accent. 
And yes. yet he played someone from Birmingham, right? <laughs> um, in Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was the head. He's Tommy Shelby. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, what I thought was interesting was um, there's been some stories circulating about how he ate like one almond a day uh, on set. Oh, just, no. I don't know how true that is. But on the in the movie, there are several scenes where someone is just keep trying to feed him because he's not eating. So I was like, well, that's, I guess, method. Uh, like he's supposed to be emaciated yeah yeah like overworking himself emaciated and he was he's already a skeletal looking dude right with the cheekbones so yeah but so hot Uh, right i mean he's still hot especially in his younger like especially in the younger sort of scenes when he's getting older you know he's getting a little (laughs) liver spotted and stuff and you're like i don't want to call him hot so it's just like (laughs) he's distinguished uh but yeah so oh it's also fun because Besides the familiar faces you see in the cast, they also play familiar faces. So you see Albert Einstein running around. I have to, yeah. I had to giggle every single time I saw him. I did go on a little um, like black hole about Oppenheimer uh-huh. like a few days ago, and I'm like, it's funny. It's fun when every single actor, like in the cast, like the actor has a Wikipedia article, and the person they're playing has a yeah. Wikipedia article. And you're like, oh, okay, because yeah. they're all like, you know, famous Nobel Prize winning physicists. Yeah, Niels Bohr. I'm, we're like, I was like, oh, who's yeah. going to play Niels Bohr? And then and my I was friend like, was like, oh, just Bohr, <laughs> Adam's moving and something about that. Heisenberg and, and Certainty Principle. Yes, we do also meet Heisenberg. We meet all the greats. So, oh my um, God. <laughs> and like half of them went to Berkeley. So, like, go Bears. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Oh, the Lawrence. The Lawrence Lab, you know, is named after. I mean, like, there's two. I like, talk. There's two elements named after uh, Cal. So I'm just like, oh yay! You're gonna claim that bomb it. I don't know. <laughs> Very conflicting, but I will watch it eventually. Like when the hype dies down, I think. But three hours is a really long time. Yeah, I, did you, you know what? Like, prep? Like, did you bring food? Did you like pee? Like, did you have to pee in between? Well, everyone kept warning me, so I peed before, and I thought I was definitely going to get up in the middle because I've done that for shorter movies, but I think I was fine for some reason. Um, I immediately ran out during the credits. <laughs> um, I'm glad I saw it early, though, because, I mean, maybe it would be good to watch it with other people, uh, the the man of the people, you know, the hoi polloi, and see what their reactions were, but... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm splitting it up. I'm glad I'm not going to, like, brave the crowds this weekend and that I'm going to see also Barbie early. So, Whew. but I, I do recommend it. If you, if you find any of these things interesting, uh, anyway, that's me. Uh, what's popping with you, Marvin? Yeah. So, um, I haven't really had time to watch much besides, um, creamery, which we'll be talking about after the break, but, um, I did want to call out a book that I read recently that we have an interview with the author on books and Boba that went out last Friday. It's called Banyan Moon by Tao Tai. Uh, we actually have an author interview with her on Books and Boba that went out last Friday. Um, the story follows three generations of Vietnamese-American women. And the setup is that the grandmother passes away and leaves her um, decaying uh, Florida mansion to her estranged daughter, Hong, and her beloved granddaughter, um, Anne, who is herself estranged from her mother. Oh. And so as Hong and Anne return to this house that holds a lot of memories for the both of them. They attempt to overcome their own generational trauma um, by confronting the ghosts of not only the um, 
the grandmother that passed away and the gap that she left, but also the ghosts of the Vietnamese refugee experience. So kind of some Southern Gothic vibes because of the uh, the mansion that they're in and the um, ghosts, both figurative and literal. But I kind of feel like the genre is kind of like unique. It's kind of like a refugee Gothic, right? Because the ghosts of the Vietnam War is still really alive and well in like the day-to-day um, traumas of the Vietnamese American community and what they had to do to survive in this new country. And I felt like this book was actually a pretty good companion piece to Carolyn mm. Quinn's novel, um, The Fortunes of Jaded Women, um, except it's, it's not as funny as that book. I, I, yeah, <laughs> because when you were describing it, I was like, wait a second. But also in my head, since I had read She is a Haunting, I was like getting that confused with it. Did you <laughs> guys decide to just read a lot of Vietnamese writers recently? Like We actually, it's been a theme actually. <laughs> We actually just yeah. did an interview with Tian Fan, who wrote yeah. a graphic memoir called Family Style, which is a yes. graphic novel memoir of his life as a, as a Vietnamese American refugee, told around like the chapters are all based on food dishes. And the first chapter of that book is actually his experience escaping from Vietnam on a boat. I so, need to get this. I don't, I don't yeah. know if it's like, I feel like there's just been like a lot more refugee stories that yeah. are at least in print, which is really cool because these are stories that like we don't often see, especially in like visual media portrayed from the, from the perspective of like the Vietnamese. Yeah. I, I, yeah. This one sounds interesting because when you said Southern Gothic, I was like, do you mean Southern like South Vietnam Gothic? <laughs> Kind of. Um, <laughs> so and so of course she is a haunting does take place in a haunted house in Vietnam. So I was like, I'm very confused now. But yes, no, no you're I see. Yeah, it's this Florida. is a it's well I mean Florida is technically the South. I mean it's yes, pretty yes. it's pretty southern down there. I mean people people look fly, if it's people swampy, fly those flags down there. <laughs> yeah, if it's swampy, I can it's it's basically a stand in for Vietnam. So, um, <laughs> yeah. That's why Houston was very Vietnam friendly. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. This sounds interesting. Yeah, the book just came out um, about a month ago. And yeah, it's a read with mm-hmm. Jenna Pick. And I really enjoyed reading it. So the book is Banyan Moon by Tao Tai. Um, check it out at booksellers everywhere. Um, and so yeah, that'll do it for what's popping for this week. When we come back, we're headed back to the creamery. Stick around. Mm, but we're still here. We're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Raman. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are 
black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lunyang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. All right, and welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. As we mentioned this week, we're talking about season two of Creamery, the dark comedy web series um, from New Zealand by the talented ladies at Flat 3. Um, for those of you who don't remember, uh, Creamery is a sci-fi story that takes place in a post-apocalyptic New Zealand where a virus has decimated the entire population of males. And so our three heroines, um, Jamie, Alex, and Pip, live on a dairy farm in a wellness collective within New Zealand. And the first season follows their adventures when they discover a surviving male and through a series of shenanigans try to get him to safety and inadvertently discover that the leader of their wellness collective is secretly running a barn uh, full of males being milked for their semen and that her partner Mm -hmm. turns out to be Jamie's presumably dead husband. (laughs) And so the first season ended on a really big cliffhanger and man, the second season really, really goes for it too. Um, (laughs) The show is created by Flat 3 and also stars them. So uh, JJ Fong, Perlina Lau and Ali Shu um, play the main characters and the fourth member of Flat 3, um, Roseanne Liang is the series director. Um, so yeah, I guess to start off, what did we think of season two of Creamery? Oh boy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just it was my, a lot darker yeah. than I expect, remembered, expected. Um, yeah. and I was just like, oh my God. Did you guys go Ooh. back and rewatch the parts of the first season? Cause I had to remind myself who everyone was because like, it, it jumps right into the action. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was in media stress. <laughs> um, I, Totally agree that like if you don't, but I I figured it out pretty quickly. I didn't have to rewatch it. Um, it was just more of like I do remember that their names match the first letter of their real names. So that <laughs> so I just pulled up Wikipedia to look at like each of the character descriptions. I was like, oh yeah, that was that's what happened because um I do remember first season had that fantastic episode um where they were at I forgot the name of the festival, but it was basically about menstruation. Um, oh yes, yeah. yeah, and so that was hilarious, and that set the tone for a lot of things. And but this time around, it's kind of like we set you up uh, for this post-apocalyptic thing, and now you are going to see what we have wrought. Um, so, but in on one hand, while it wasn't maybe while it was still fun, there are definitely a lot of funny moments, but it was still, but it was a little fuller. Um, Fuller with dread, I guess, and filled with <laughs> yes. dread and and some sort of like really darkness of humanity. I part of me appreciated that because, in essence, what they were addressing was serious, and so the I I don't know if they could have maintained the levity of the first season, but also when they made the second season, we were deep in the pandemic. And so I don't think anyone would have been unaffected. So there's definitely a lot of things that came out of the pandemic that had different tones. I remember uh, a lot of romance novels, Jess and I remember this, where we're just like, what happened there? <laughs> like, why is this depressing all of a sudden? <laughs> because it was a pandemic, right? Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, it was darker. It's still a little bit funny. 
Um, but I think it kind of matched the the uh, subject matter. Yes. I mean, I think when we break it down and think about what dystopian societies <laughs> would be, it makes a lot of sense. But I just remember, like, the last season starting so calmly because, uh-huh. you know, they're talking about the wellness and there's a lot of those jokes. And I feel like this one just started off so intense and kept the intensity the entire way through. Like, they're on the run. They're on, you know, like, <laughs> there's just a lot of, like, talking about pumping and dumping. I'm like, oh, God. Um, yeah, still really funny. Love the introduction of some other, these additional characters. Really, really love Daniel. Yeah. Um, our Our chaotic superhero savior in the first few episodes um and then um it's it was like a little jarring to like get deeper into some of the world like we're getting more into like the conspiracy and like who's you know on whose side and um i just was very uh jarred sometimes i was like oh is this supposed to be funny oh no it's not funny (laughs) like uh, yeah (laughs) I was like, I can, I would like to laugh now. Uh, and I think some episodes, especially in the first half, when, you know, we are talking about the relationship between Jackson and his family, um, where I'm just like, oh, like, this is not, I mean, it makes sense, right, story-wise. Like, oh, this is not funny. I guess it's not funny if you think about what just happened to all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just like, oh, how a bummer. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but also really funny in that way that like Kiwi humor can be. Like, if you yes, like, yeah. you know, stuff like what we do in the shadows and things like that, there's definitely something in the way that they deliver their lines that, like, I know this is really serious, but you're making it really funny, right? right. Yeah. I think for me personally, like, the, you know, how Han was very shooketh by the Oppenheimer <laughs> yes. and sitting there. For me, like, sexual violence and reproductive violence is like one of the things I just personally have a hard time like taking lightly obviously in this not surprising given this climate Um, and even when it's you know reversed it's still pretty disturbing I Um, but yeah I agree I had to actually despite it being a very short season you know half hour episodes six episodes I had to watch it in three parts because I was like, this is a little, little bit too much for me. And so I had to like cleanse my mental palate. Um, yeah, I think there is still a dissonance between like the jokes they're trying to make um, about, you know, the reproductive violence and the fact that like we're joking about reproductive violence, even though it happened, you know, it's it's happening to the, the, the men. Um, and I'm just like, ooh, this is still kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Um but then you still get really funny moments. Like I love the good boys. I've <laughs> yes. never felt more seen in my life. Yes. Um, <laughs> the good boys. Like I just want a flushing toilet. <laughs> yeah. And I want I want there to be like electricity. I was like I do too. In a apocalyptic situation, if given the choice between you know being taken out by a first wave or like having to struggle to survive, take me out, baby. <laughs> I definitely felt that this, like, the show was already pretty unhinged. Like, they were really going for it. And I feel like this season, they, like, went for it even further. Like, I had no idea where the season would go at any given point because they keep, they keep changing locations. They keep moving the plot forward. They keep twisting the plot, too. Like, 
this show has a pretty high body count for like a a comedy, right? Yeah, I you know yeah. it's it's one of the impressive things I have to say about foreign TV shows because you know how we're always like. How do they only have six episodes? You know, that happened with Fleabag, um, <laughs> Catastrophe. A lot of British shows have eight episodes. You're like, how do they do that? They pack it in. Like, it's a comedy that's a half hour, and yet they pack in so much plot, also dystopian, like, dread and stuff, because they make every second count. So yeah. it, I, I, I was kind of impressed, even though I was kind of like, yeah, <laughs> take it yeah. back. <laughs> and I mean, the entire first season took place in that, like, wellness collective you know, compound. Yeah. Um, this season, they expand the world a lot. We go to a lot of places. The world gets a lot bigger. And, yeah. like, it does what a sequel should do, which is, like, yeah, make the world bigger, flesh out the, you know, the nuances of the world so that's beyond, like, beyond the gates of, like, that starting town, right? Yes. Um, and But it, it's also, like, very so Kiwi to be, like, second season. Do we get more money? Let's go. <laughs> Uh, which I feel like is also very indicative of like the flat three style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying they're spending exorbitant amounts of money. There are some set, like, I think it's just a testament. They're like, you're, they're obviously not getting Hollywood budget, but the storytelling is so strong. And I do think mm-hmm. the writing is very strong that you're kind of still understanding, um, you know, like, like uh, you're like, okay, we're in the woods and now we're in this like secret hideout. And now we're in the government and you're kind of like, okay, I can forgive like the lack of like, maybe like set production because like like we're in the place we need to be for the story um and it was really fun to see new zealand nature i always mm-hmm. forget that you know it's gorgeous and i'm like damn when they're like running through the woods i'm like mm-hmm. damn i should go visit new zealand that's where the hobbits were i mean it's middle earth man yeah I, it felt very <laughs> hobbity and i was just like I was like, wow. And then they have a lot more actors, right? Like they're mm-hmm. meeting a lot of new people. Um, we get Rachel House in a bigger role, who's always great in everything she does. And um I did love that we got yeah, more really, Jackson really... by Yosan An. Like Yes. He plays yes. a big role in like the the first half of the season at least. And and I was surprised because I wasn't sure we'd be seeing like that much of him. Yeah. And his like I don't know if I I'll do, still kind of thinking about how I feel about his whole story arc um, and what happened. Um, but well, I did like the fact that he does get to do. I, you don't want to spoil anything, but we'll wait for like, the spoilers zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, it was nice to see him act more than just like the flashback, um, like to be like ghost husband. Um, but I did think some of the. I think some of the more unsuccessful parts was actually like the the relationship or the 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 kind of airing out between him and Alec Jamie because mm-hmm. I did think it got a little soapy at sometimes, which seems <laughs> tonally incongruent with the rest of the show. Yeah, no, I agree. I think his his uh, relationship with his sister with Alex made more sense. But when yes. it came to, yeah, when it came to Jamie, I almost felt like, why? Like, I understand they had to have some sort of, like, discussion because of what yeah. happened. But I think where it went, I'm not, like, I felt weird about. Um, I don't know what it says about me, but I actually liked Jackson's character in in the season. Um, I kind of felt like, you know, Jamie's <laughs> sure. story is kind of the central one that we follow. And her, because her hurt is, like, the most, like, she lives in that like survivor's guilt, right? Like the, the story goes that the reason that Jackson 
ended up in Lane's custody as like as her sex slave stems from the fact that um, mm-hmm. Jamie gave him up to quarantine, state quarantine, um, after their son uh, passed away from the virus. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of I like the exploration of like what happens when your biggest guilt, when your biggest like regret comes back and mm-hmm. you realize that you can't you can't go back to the way things were like the the pain is already there. The trauma is already there. And like mm-hmm. at this point, yeah. there's like here is the physical manifestation of your trauma. I mean, the character that I actually was the most frustrated with um, remains um, Perlina's Pip, who is just like the biggest bootlegger. And I have no idea why these people keep her around. Yeah, she but Pip, very good at from from an audience perspective, though, Pip is still the funniest character yeah. on the yeah. show, and so much of the season's jokes are based around her, or like, are kind of delivered around her. I I still really, you know, I really love the ET bike chase. Yes, <laughs> uh, that happens mid season, um, and I'm just like, this is and her just like, yeah, Perlina's always plays like the kind of very like tight lace goody two shoes character um and and i just love that because again in an apocalyptic situation where like you're kind of like experiencing that like everyone is against you you can't be trusted like you still want to abide by the rules (laughs) like it's very because she's the one i think most unlikely to be able to survive in this situation which is where a lot of the humor comes from so i don't mind it i think she's really i think her character is just really funny and I guess um, it's just like get some of the best jokes. You're on the run from like a conspiracy and you think the state will help? I don't know. <laughs> but that's why that's why it's funny, right? Cuz she's just like she has so much belief in like institutions when like the whole show is about how institutions can't be trusted. <laughs> uh and she you know, she thinks she can transcend to transcend meditate her way out of torture? Yeah. That was also great. <laughs> I did we talked a little bit about the show, like flipping gender roles in terms of like the, um, I guess, instrumentalization of like gender. But I also really love the, I feel like, you know, dystopia, dystopian science fiction, you know, it's based on like, they're, they're trying to like extrapolate current trends and occurrences. And I do love that you can also see Creamery as like a takedown of like hustle culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like wellness and, and wellness culture. culture, which is very much based in white supremacy. Um, I mean, there's you know, a reason it, why so and so looks like Gwyneth Paltrow. So yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, and Lane is she's so creepy. Whoever this actress is, she mm-hmm. plays it so well. She's so unsettling. Um, like just so gross. Like every time, um, she's oh my god, the whole like when she makes out with Jackson, I'm just like oh. Like I yeah. have never wanted to hurl more. It's yeah. so gross. Yeah. Um, and she's so she's a great villain. And um, you know, I am again, no spoilers, but I'm excited to see kind of how the show will move forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're it kind of like how we were at the end of season one. They were like, Oh, we we better get a season two. But we were in like we were in the early parts of the pandemic, so we were kind of like unsure uh this one i was just like well if they got a season two and an increased budget they better have season three you know lined up and like in the works so yes i i hope so and you know what there's a strike right now in the united states so go back to new zealand and make some shit y'all yes <laughs> yeah write that shit out make it i mean they got a boat on this season that's big money <laughs> i yeah. mean the cast definitely was a lot bigger too like a lot more mm-hmm. people with speaking roles yeah um yes besides daniel who i 
did very much enjoy. Um, the one character I didn't think I would like, but I end up liking just because of how they used her was there's this sort of blondie chick named Michelle. And at first I was like, who cares? She's just like Lane's, you know, gopher. And but then when you they hit the road, you you see her all of a sudden get a haircut that looks exactly like Pips with the extreme bangs. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then you see her change her outfit again when she's following someone else. And I was like, I see what they're doing it's with her. It's such a successful character yes. of a someone with no character for their own. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, because you don't see it until like the first time she changes. And then the, by the third change, you're like, oh, that's funny. Um, so yes. that was interesting when we talk yeah. about... I mean, it's a character that Al pips pips. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, and just the um the just the recurring bit about like the bangs yes. and like that's such like a female center joke too yes, like yes. insult like insult my family insult my character don't you dare insult my bangs that's like a soft spot you know also bangs hair also means a classic change. flat three like they love doing bang humor like if you yeah, go back yeah. to their their original web series there's like multiple episodes about bangs and the upkeep of them yeah it's, which, it's like a thing which is interesting because they do call it bangs whereas in in england they call it a fringe, fringe. right so so I, yeah. yeah oh and i i do love and and one of those characters she kind of starts mimicking is the um gen z prime minister of new zealand <laughs> yes. who was also great dead ass dead ass great so good because at first i was like what is this prime minister gonna look like because that was one of their things is they need to talk to the prime minister in order to get some like help against lane and you're like how is she gonna look and her gen z look speak everything uh her hair uh what's that called again it's not Baylash. We are we are confirmed that as Gen Z speak, right? Because as a as an older gener- geriatric yeah. millennial, I have no idea what the kids say these oh, days. Oh yeah, yeah, it's that, that's very yeah. East Coast New York thing. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm surprised it went that far to New Zealand, yes. but uh, I thought that was more more like specifically a New York thing, yeah, tri-state area thing. Um, but yeah, no, it's she's great, and she's she's a millennial, but she does kind of like know what she's talking about. Um, mm. or not millennial, she's Gen Z, but. Yeah, like she like and the, like the weird drops of snippets of like her past and how she got there. You're just like, what is happening? But like, mm-hmm. I'm into this. She's great. Um, yeah, so just like really, really fun characters. Um, and again, so so many crammed in six third twenty three minute episodes. That's yeah. insane. It's a mm-hmm. it's a quick watch, but also like some of these episodes are super intense. So definitely like mm-hmm. episode three is a good stopping point if you're looking yeah. to like binge yeah. um, two sessions. Um, and it. Much like season one, it ends on a pretty gnarly cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There better be a season three. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they set up, they placed a lot of um, guns on the mantle, right? About like things that need to pay off but haven't yet. So I'm very excited to see the Mongol off, hopefully in the next season. Yes. And I do think, you know, props to Roseanne um, and all them. The, the writing is just truly like really great really tight you can just see her like understanding of like storytelling of this genre and like where it needs to go and how much it needs to expand and how much deeper it needs to go like um so i i hope she sticks i mean overseas shows are pretty short they tend to be like just a few seasons so if the last season is the final season i can't wait to see how they stick the landing yeah 
something else that I really liked is just the characters get it's kind of like Die Hard, where as the season goes, like they they have not recovered from the injuries of season one. So as like they get more and more disheveled and injured yeah. as they go throughout this season. I, I really love that like that continuity of like this is like one long like couple of days for them. I, I yes. yes, and I also like that because of that. Um, they don't continue to necessarily wear tattered clothing, but they just find clothing along the way. And so their logo t-shirts, how they change every single time <laughs> or the random, like, I think, I think Pip Perlina is wearing like shorts and a, and a, like a windbreaker at one point. And it's just a weird outfit combination that I was like, oh, I'd wear that totally in an apocalypse. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just totally random. And I think it was on point. Uh, very, some good visual gags um, to sort of uphold like if they don't have actual, you know, literal jokes they're tell- telling, you know, you can just sort of observe and there's stuff going on. Um, yeah. And some great physical comedy, too. Like I laughed out loud a couple of times at like some of the pratfalls. Like yeah, it's yeah. been a while since I saw a good, a good fall. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I do have to ask you, Marvin, if you had survived the initial man virus in this world, what would you what would your plan of action be? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would prefer not to become a milkman, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> would you be a good boy? They feed you Jello. <laughs> no, but I, I'm too much of an independent spirit to I like accept safe. confinement in that way. Uh, these are situations that no one should have to. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think about your what you would do in an apocalyptic situation. Oh, I have I'm like contingency sure plans. No matter what, I kind of have a bunch of health issues that would not <laughs> fare well in a world without functioning healthcare. That's fair, or like just a world where you can't get new glasses. Oh my god, just <laughs> take me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... All right. Well. On that note, um, that we'll put a pin on our discussion of Creamery. Um, stay tuned after the credits for our spoiler zone where we'll talk about all the wild twists and turns that happened in this um, very tight um, six-episode show. Um, but before we get there, um, got to ask, is Creamery Season 2 good pop? Yes, more weird-ass slings that uh, execute the vision, uh, more... Asian American, I guess they're not American, but Asian you diaspora. know, diaspora led um, stories uh, and and more and, and more more stories where men are the victim. I don't know how to phrase that. You know what I mean? Well, well, it's just really it's fun also because in this world they they created like everyone has to be populated. Basically, everyone's every single role is populated by a woman, right? Like the security <laughs> guards are women. The army is women, like special ops is women. They're being chased by like women. So all the action scenes are happening with women. And I think that's just like really it's like fun. It's the opposite of Oppenheimer. It is the opposite of Oppenheimer. <laughs> oh. I do want to ask, were you disappointed by the lack of lumberjack stacks in this season? I mean, yes, I was very, I think, trauma- like Jamie, I was also very, tra- I ended up being very traumatized by the reappearance of Jackson or like Jackson 2.0, the husk of Jackson after everything he's been through, which I'm just like, makes me sound like an asshole because I'm just like, yes, you've been traumatized and like, I shouldn't like fault you for having feelings and dealing with things. But my goodness, like lack of sexy lumberjack. We get the wig half the time. He's like being kind of shifty the other time. I was like, "Mm." 
like I hope they give us. I mean, I guess it's kind and like Bobby is, you know, great character, just not my cup of tea in terms of like attraction. But I guess that is also the sacrifice you must make in a show that centers around women and a world in which men have died in a dystopia. <laughs> On good pop. Uh, yeah, for most of the reasons that we we said, but I also just like seeing funny Asian women uh, do their yes. thing and more of them and also funny Asian women together. It's kind of like we got Joyride, but we also got Creamery. So we don't have to stop there. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun watching this show. It gave a lot of the irreverent dark humor that I wanted from a season two. I love that. I had no idea where the show was going to go at any given point. Um, you know, I have always been a big fan of the flat three girls. Um, you know, I've met Roseanne a couple of times and she like, I'm always excited to see where her career goes and, you know, um, everything's on hold right now because of the double strikes, but you know, I'm, I am looking forward to her work on the live action avatar that yeah. probably won't come out till like next year at this point. Right. Yep. I mean, yeah. uh, unless they try to figure out how to AI people. Oh wait. Oh, they're, God. Uh, they're already oh. doing that. Sorry. No, that's what we're fighting again. Too uh, soon. But did you hear they're, they're like, Oh, stranger things last season might not come out till like 2027. Yeah. I'm like, bitch, those kids will be 30 by then. <laughs> some shit yeah you saw that what was it wicked was 10 days away from finishing shooting until they had to <gasps> oh, turn no. um shut down for the strike Ooh, yeah oh, that sucks yeah this is why hey studios get yeah. get those negotiations and uh get those contracts because the money's there you right. have the money oh hell yeah you have the money and you're just losing money if you continue <laughs> to this the strike so they need to get those contracts in order again do not underestimate the banality of evil Uh. and on that note yeah that'll do (laughs) it for our discussion of creamery season two um jess han if people want to find out more of your thoughts where can they go Han, I'm still waiting for my blue sky invite. Oh, well, I'll go. I'll go on there because I signed up, but I didn't do anything with it. So I'll go there and find okay. my my code. Okay. Wait, are we? Is threads over? Is the I moment- mean, I'm 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 on there, but I don't know if it's really a thing. You know, uh, other than people who are on Instagram just taking their Instagram and throwing it on threads. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm on it. So, uh, right. sorry, Jess. What is your handle? I have none right now, so I will get back to you once I get that, <laughs> once I figure it out. Yeah, uh, I'm on Anonymous on various platforms. Whether or not I'm actually active on them is a different story. So, uh, but, you know, you can see I, I have been putting like my screening stuff um, on my stories on Instagram. So if you want to just see what I'm screening recently, then I'm going to try to be more active on Instagram, in fact, and maybe even on threads, you know. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. Uh, we are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, so you can check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks for listening. Stick around for our Creamery Season 2 Spoiler Zone. And um, well, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.
Brian. Did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. All right. Uh, welcome to the Creamery Season 2 Spoiler Zone. For the next few minutes, uh, we'll be chatting all about all the twists and turns of this second season. Oh, man. So many things we can talk about. But I did want to ask, what were your reactions to them killing off Jackson in the middle of the season? <laughs> uh, while I was semi-surprised, I felt like it was appropriate, honestly. Um the fact that we even got him back because it was, first of all, rewind to the end of season one. It was already shock knowing that he had come back from the dead and all of a sudden he looked like this laughing lumberjack guy. He was like cozying up with Lane, the white Gwyneth Paltrow leader of wellness, right? So that was a huge betrayal. So for him to actually come back for season two, they had to do something with it and it couldn't just be that 100% he was just a betrayer. I mean, he still sucked, but um, there had yes. to be more depth to it. And so honestly, they gave him a three episode arc in order to address many of these things. And uh, even the way he went out, I have conflicting feelings about, but at the same time, I don't know if it's necessarily wrong what they did with him. So uh, I don't know. What about you, Jess? I think with the lack of, episode time i don't think they can rehab spend I, I think death was the only way to go because yeah. i don't think you can rehab him he's so like he's pulled a lot of sins it would have been hard to like as much as i like we like yosan and yeah. we understand that like jackson has been through a lot like you know watching you know having him being the father of lane's baby is rough um you know the the having him trying to betray them with a panic button is rough. Well, I mean that's not like it's confirmed because a spoiler at the end of the season was that the embryo came from Rachel House's doctor. That's true. We, oh, I didn't even think we, about we, that. But like we are led to believe basically that even even you know. but I mean he did have sex with her. Let's just say. Yeah. I mean we got polaroid evidence of the various outfits he wore to have said sex with her and um we also at the end whether or not it was a ploy to distract or not he was still all over her saying that she was his one and only and he was saying this in front of his ex-wife or I mean, wife whatever i mean so, I, I read that as him trying his best to protect jamie from no he knows lane is crazy and no will, like, i get her. no i get that at the same time there little there was really no indication from him like wink wink or get out of here no shooing emotions it was kind of like he had to sell it so it's it even jamie is sitting there kind of like i don't know what to do with this um so i i i agree that he probably was doing that but at the same time he was really putting his whole ass into that <laughs> kiss yeah and it's, it was very disturbing yeah <laughs> um he had done enough things and and i agree that even if these things are bad a lot of it came from how he was conditioned. Unfortunately, it doesn't negate the effects of what he had done. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the thing is, like, he was essentially turned in by Jamie to quarantine because she was reeling from the death of their baby, right? And that's kind of, like, the initial... Like, Jamie's 
guilt stems from her giving up. Like I remember the original, like there was always a rift between Alex and Jamie because Jamie gave up her brother to the to the state, right? And so you can see, like I I did like that there. They they um, fleshed out his like willingness to be like Lane's sex toy essentially as a means to survive, but also that added. Um, dimension of he never went back and looked for Jamie because of his own kind of it seemed like his like pride kept him from doing it right his like masculinity he also didn't know about his mom that she basically became a vegetable you know a vegetable or whatever they that they did some sort of like crany cranial lobotomy to her basically so uh like yeah yeah so like yeah he, he was a victim of circumstance but he also like contributed to it was it was well a shitty it was a shitty situation for him and it there was kind of no way out which is why I was like I kind of get why he had to die. So yeah, and you know what? It's let's frigid do to mm-hmm. move along the emotional storyline I mean, of some we, women. And I mean, technically, we refridged him, right? Yeah, because <laughs> he was we could fridge him twice. <laughs> fridge him twice. They do that all the time to ladies. Yes. Um, and I do think that in a ensemble cast about in this story i do think two dudes is too many like you don't need two dudes that's like two casualties to be protecting it it gets i think it just gets very messy like um is it bad that i would have rather seen a redemption arc for jackson as opposed to like bobby sticking around no 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 i understand that completely (laughs) because like the season bobby gets a far bigger you know role and i just remember thinking like i just feel like there's m- something more interesting about um jackson's character whether or not he could be redeemed um i find bobby kind of boring <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah but that that kind of makes him the perfect yes yes like like he's the MacGuffin, right mm-hmm. for or like yes. he, he kind of set up as the MacGuffin. like he doesn't <laughs> he's just kind of the blank thing that all the women are revolving around or like foes are trying to get and i think if like it's just yeah having both of them i think is a lot but because the story starts with you know them running over bobby and finding this quote-unquote last man um it does feel like that thread has to finish with bobby in a way i just think and i just i don't know he's just like mm, it's it's Again, second chance romances are also not my favorite, but it, it would be weird to like reintroduce Jackson yeah. and like, like I feel like it is weird to try to get them back together. But also, if you're gonna be there and they have great chemistry. Like, yes. you're not gonna get them back together. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? I know. Like, I mean, like I think... you want it to happen, but you also don't want it to happen. <laughs> I just, I just want to see more Jackson. That's all. Um, what else? Um, I kind of I really liked that the last two episodes was like a heist. Mm-hmm. And I love that yes. like it gave you like not only did did you get a heist, you also got the heist reveal where you learned that the failed heist was part of the plan all along. And I really Yes, I oh really my god, that was that. so fun. Finally. That was so fun. Yeah, because I think one of the things that I understand this is a comedy, this is a post apocalyptic comedy with people who don't know what they're doing, but after they've been mistreated and like fooled so much, you're kind of just like, come on, you got to like get your shit together. Right. And they did. They outsmarted the evil people. And so I was very happy. Basically, you know, I, I, are we talking about like 
the getting stabbed in the stomach. <laughs> yeah, I was actually like, I was. I was like, this is fucking dark. Yes. I was like, what Fuck. is happening? I was like, oh my they god. Still, they still gave us that visual of someone stabbing someone who we think is pregnant, who, you know, is pregnant, but, and there's blood coming out of her abdomen. That was, and then that Hulu was cuts the commercial right yeah. there. What the hell? And you yes. can't skip Hulu commercials. You have to watch the whole five minutes of commercials before you get back to but, the show. Yeah, I love the reveal that not only was it blood packets, but that she had poisoned Lane using poison fingernails. I mean, sleep, sleep, sort of like drugs. Sleep poison. Um, but still, it was with claws. And I was like, oh, that's a very nice touch. And, um, and that she may not even be pregnant with a boy. Right, right. She used uh, blood from Jack's, J- not Jackson, Bobby, in order for it to show up as a Y chromosome blood. So, um, yeah, whatever her baby is, doesn't matter. Yeah. It did seem um, weird that the um, the final act revolved around, like, the coronation of, like, a baby boy being born. Well, Yes and no, because I think this is a question that we often discuss in the culture section when it comes to, let's say, Why the Last Man and other dystopian shows that supposedly uh, has more women. And the thing is, if we are coming from a patriarchal society, it doesn't mean that just because men are gone that patriarchy stops. You know, we, we've still grown up in it, so we still whatever. And so here, um, Lane, you know, thinks that she is pregnant or at least says that she is pregnant with a boy. And so this is held up as a big, you know, um, big reveal, but also very important. And so when she also thinks that um, Jamie is pregnant with a boy, she's like, well, double the boy. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of getting back to the whole patriarchal, you know, uh, policy of like holding them up in high regard because I guess now that they're such a precious resource, but it felt was like, ugh. Yeah. And not <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not far removed from what happens today. Like yeah. if you've seen like baby gender reveals where like it's a girl and like the parents are pissed. No, but that's exactly what we're saying is yeah. even in yeah, its yeah. So that's like So it's a version of that, you know, that's still happening. It's just, it's, it's, it's slightly exaggerated. It's not even that exaggerated, honestly, because like Lane just gives ultimate boy mom energy, right? And yeah, but I think that like what we're saying is, though, in a matriarchal society, they should be holding up women. And so that's why it's kind of like, yeah. oh, they're reverting back to the patriarchy. I mean, you know, it's yeah, it's also women can be shitty, too. I yep. mean, given society as it is in this show, whereas like population decline is going to be like almost guaranteed. I mean, not to take this to a dark place, back to like sexual assault and violence, but that boy is going to be a milk boy, right? Like, yeah, well, this is. <laughs> When they said initially that this was sort of their version of Handmaid's Tale, but flipped gender wise, that's kind of where they were going. Right. Because even though childbearing women are a precious resource in Gilead, um, in Handmaid's Tale stories, they're treated like shit. And so here they should be like the men should be treated like shit. And the ones who are like milked are definitely not having a great life. But um, like the, the male was saying what like one man, healthy man can produce like what, $30 million worth of, like, jizz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas it does feel like Bobby, or at least, you know, this possible male baby that could be born uh, is being held up to be something special. So I thought that was an interesting sort of, instead of, hey, we we have a boy and we're also going to put him to work, which I kind of would have expected, you know? Um, So... 
whatever. I mean, it, their own rules. They can do whatever they want. Um, and honestly, <laughs> that probably sounds more realistic is for them to continue to be worshiping boys. Um, I mean, because a, they, yeah. yeah, they can't, they can't overthrow the patriarchy just because some guys have just died. Like, I mean, also, Lane's giving yeah. like Dowager Empress energy, right? She's definitely like, oh, she, be, like, <laughs> she's a white woman, so she's definitely going to be aligning with the patriarchy more anyway. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Speaking of Lane, <laughs> um, we got to talk about that ending. Oh, that was fun. Okay. We all knew that was going to happen, right? <laughs> as soon as they I set up the scene. I did not see that coming, actually. Okay, so so what happens, if, if I'm sure everyone has watched it by now, is so they've, they've captured Lane and they're going to bring her out to whatever that spot is that in the coordinates that uh, uh, Alex and Jackson's mom had written in her diary or whatever. Um, so Lane is on the boat and she's on the uh, on the deck and Jamie goes out to her and starts yelling at her, you know, because... She's, you know, they're, they're, they're opposite. But as soon as her back was to the railing, I was like, oh, Jamie's just going to push her overboard, <laughs> which is what <laughs> <I> she did. <laughs> do love that. Like the reason that she gets pushed, like she pretty much like, she like the reason it. she gets pushed off that railing is because she just could not help herself. Yeah. From she being thought a Karen. She- yeah, she thought she was. Yeah, she, she was exactly that. She was a Karen. She thought she she uh, she couldn't be touched. Um, in in fact, earlier in the scene, we saw that Alex reassure her that no matter what happens, if people treat you like shit, tell me because I'm going to protect that baby because she believes that baby is her niece or nephew. Um, well, nephew, I guess, because the lie is, or at least the story is that it's a boy, and so she thinks not only has she made it but that she also has a protector among the three. Um, but Jamie <laughs> pushes her overboard anyway. So that's an interest. And, and that was the reassurance that that was kind of like why they were supposed to be let go. Um, and that's the deal they made was they could capture lane for um, these bounty hunters, or I guess. So uh, without reassurance gone, what's going to happen? I mean, I, yes, great narrative stakes and questions. She deserved it. It was very satisfying. <laughs> I would have done the same. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. No, I'm not saying that he did not deserve to be pushed off that boat, but it was pretty like, it was a shocking way to end the season. And like the, the smirk that JJ gives at the very end. Well, and it'll be just really interesting to set up. So now, you know, Alex thinks that Jamie killed her nibbling the only one you know the last tied to her brother um you know their leverage with the ship crew is gone so they're in the middle of the ocean um so yeah great great narrative stakes to start season three yeah and potentially like dooming the human race because that was probably the only baby boy right I mean, I'm also just yeah. like, are you like, when is that hard to keep the human race going? Let it die. Like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, maybe I just don't have preservation instinct, but I'm just like, if it takes that much to keep it going, just, you know, enjoy the last few years and, 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 you know, go gently into the good night. Are we worth saving? I don't know. All right. Well, on that note, um, Looking forward to where the story goes. Um, That'll do it for our Creamery Season 2 Spoiler Zone. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.